Uh, I was thinking this week, I was remembering uh, listening to a podcast. I want to say it was, it was in the last couple of years. I listened to a lot of podcasts when I drive and in the car. And this particular podcast was, was two gentlemen having a conversation, both of them really bright, kind of intellectual guys, neither one of them believers. Uh, one of them, from what I remember, was a, a trained psychologist, and he was a professor, and was talking about all these great big ideas. And sometimes I like to listen to people that are way smarter than me, and I don't understand most of what they're saying, but I like to listen, and I'm kind of going through this. And uh, I remember about halfway through the podcast, one of the guys said something that like caught my attention. And he started to talk about Jesus. He started to talk about faith in God and kind of where he was. And he said, he confessed, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure where I am. I do believe there's a God. And he was kind of wrestling with all these things. And then he said, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. It's been a while since I listened to it, but something to the effect of, I don't have a category for Jesus. I don't know what to do with him. And then he said, because I really believe that Jesus is the logos. And he used that word. And I went, whoa, it caught my attention, right? If you've been with us, we've been working through the gospels. In the very first week, first couple of weeks we looked at, we were in John chapter one. And that's what John says in his gospel about Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word for word is logos in Greek. And it means this idea of, of divine truth, the ultimate reality being revealed. And John says, Jesus is the logos. He is the ultimate reality. He is the divine truth. And so as I'm listening to this podcast and the guy goes, I don't have a category for Jesus, but I think he's the logos. And I went, whoa. And he talked about what that means, and he actually defined it pretty well. I agreed with his definition as he was talking about it. But what I was taken aback by is, is he wasn't coming at it from like an orthodox Christian view, but he then said this. He said, when I look at Jesus and his teachings and what he accomplished and what he did, he said, I don't have an explanation. He thrust the world forward by thousands of years. And our understanding and the way that we love in grace. And he started saying all these things and he got to the end and it's kind of like, and I don't know what to do with them. And I remember listening to it with a huge smile on my face as I drove down the road thinking the beauty of Jesus is undeniable. When you really look at what he said and what he did and the way he's changed the world, like this guy who's not a believer, who's just thinking intellectually is going, I don't know what to do with this. It's incredible the way he's changed the world. And I was thinking about that this week and what we see here and what we see in the Gospels as we're walking through them each week. But what we see particularly in this text, the beauty of Jesus to behold, what we see about who he is and the way he's working and the way he operates. And I love this story, the way he addresses each person and the way he's working in the midst of all the things that are going on around him. And so today I simply want us just to walk through this story together. I'm going to do a little different outline than the way I normally do. I often ask questions or have, here's one, two, and three. Today, I'm just going to walk through the story with you. And I want you to look at the story that I just read and really fight to see it in a couple ways. One, there's going to be a couple things I point out culturally that are going on that maybe you miss in just reading. But the second thing all of us can do as you're reading and as you're thinking, I want you to try to empathize with the people. I want you to try to be in their shoes and what they're feeling, and what they're dealing with, and what's happening in their lives, and the way that Jesus speaks to them. And so we're just going to walk through the story together and look at it that way. And then there's four things that I want to point out about the beauty of Jesus in this passage as we spend time together. So pretty simple, but let's look at the story together. 
uh, we get right at the beginning. Chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side and a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Let me go back a few weeks if you've been with us and just make some connections real quick. A few weeks ago, we were seeing Jesus get in a boat because of the great crowds and he pushes out into the Sea of Galilee to preach and teach. And he spends a bunch of time talking about the kingdom of God. And he tells a whole bunch of parables about what God's kingdom is like and what it looks like. And as he finishes, he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. So instead of going back into the crowd, they push off from the boat and they go across to the other side. On their way that night, as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, a great storm comes up and they all think they're going to die. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And the storm stops. They get to the other side, which we looked at last week. And immediately as he steps off of this boat, he's met by a demon possessed man. And Jesus casts these demons out and speaks powerfully to him. And we see that happen. And then it tells us after that, he gets back into the boat and he goes back across the Sea of Galilee. And as he returns, the crowds are still there. They're everywhere. And he steps back into the crowds. And so as we've been walking through chronologically in the life of Jesus, we're in the second year of his ministry, getting towards the end of the second year. And this is what Jesus deals with everywhere he goes. Crowds everywhere. Throngs of people pressing in on him, wanting things for him, coming to him everywhere he goes. And so it tells us that's the case. He steps off of this boat. Verse 22, it says, Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. And so he meets this guy, Jairus, who works in the synagogue. Best guess is Jesus may have met this guy before. He's been in this area. He's doing ministry. This guy's in the synagogue. No doubt Jesus had been there taught there, been around this. So maybe they know each other, but he comes up and he falls at Jesus's feet. And it says he earnestly implores him. He's begging him. He's at Jesus's feet, begging him saying, please come with me because my daughter is sick. She's at the point of death. She could die at any moment. Will you please come lay your hands on him, on her? And so Jesus says, okay. And he starts to follow with this guy. And I want you just to stop and think about it for a second. I had a professor in seminary that used to say, when you read through the Gospels, try to walk in their sandals. And he did a great job in these classes of telling you how long they would walk and what it would be like. And he'd try to get you into it. And it's really helpful when you read God's word to to associate with the people that are what they're dealing with. And think about it. So I really want you to think about that. You're at the point where it tells us a little later, and it tells us in in Luke's uh, account of this as well, that his daughter's 12 years old and it's his only daughter his only child and your child's about to die and you've seen jesus doing these miracles and you've seen what he's teaching and you've seen all the incredible things that he's going and you are desperate and so you go to him and you fall at his feet and you beg him and you say please would you please come and jesus says okay and he starts to walk with you and i want you just to think about what that would be like what that walk would even be like that he's coming But it tells us that there's crowds everywhere and people are pressing in on them and they're all over the place and you're trying to get them to your child that could die at any moment. And I think about that, 12 years old. My youngest, Quinn, will be 12 in a couple months. And I think about that and I go, what would that be like to be in that moment of thinking that your child could die at any, right? You would be panicked and and anxious and fearful and all these things. And Jesus, can you please come help me? 
And I'm no doubt that Jairus was feeling all those sorts of things. Now, now when I try to put myself in his shoes, let's say for me, I, I think of how impatient I would be. He may not be. I'm reading into it, but I'm kind of that way. I don't know if you're like that. Like, like if we're leaving to go on vacation and we decide we're leaving at eight o'clock. I'm in the car at like 755. Like, let's go. It's time to go. We said we're leaving at eight. Right. I have a flight at the airport. I'm so worried that I'll miss my flight. I'll go like four hours early and just sit there for a long time because I'm not going to miss it. And so in my reading of this, I think about Jairus walking and I think of him like kind of grabbing Jesus's arm and being like, we got to get there. You don't understand. She's really, really sick. Your only daughter that you love so much that you would do anything for. And so Jesus starts to follow along with him. But then look at what happens in verse 25. Or just verse 24, it says he went with them and a great crowd followed and thronged about him, right? So they're making their way to however far his house is, but they're moving slowly because of so many people around. But then verse 25, it says there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to them, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And so Jesus is walking along with this guy, right? He's, he's going to his house and there's people everywhere. And then all of a sudden he just stops and he goes, somebody touch me. And it's comical, right? Like there's people everywhere and they're all trying to get close to him. And all these people are pressing in and the disciples even kind of pick up on it. They're like, really? Who touched you? Everyone's touching you. <laughs> what are you talking about? And Jesus knows what happened. He knows what's going on here and he stops. Now, Mark is telling us kind of the background of what's happening. He says, this woman that touches Jesus has had this issue, right? Oftentimes in your Bible, it'll say the hemorrhaging woman, uh, the woman who had, uh, is bleeding. We don't know exactly what's going on with her, but we know that she has this deep physical issue that has been haunting her for 12 years. And this is the woman that touched him. And she knew in the moment that she touched Jesus, that she had been healed. And Jesus knew says he felt this power go out and he knew this had happened. And so he stops and he asks and he asks, who touched me? And before we turn to this woman, I want you to think for just a second, stick with Jairus, how he's feeling in this. Again, I'm reading into this, right? If it's me, I'm going, why are we stopping? We need to go right now, right? This is serious. My daughter could die at any moment. At least that's the way I'm feeling in this moment. Like, let's go. We've got to get there. And so I imagine Jairus kind of feeling that, that tension. Verse 33, Jesus asked who touched him. Verse 33, it says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Okay, we're switching to this lady now for a second. There's Jairus and he's like, come on, we've got to go. But now we're focused on her as Jesus sees this woman and she comes forward and she tells what happened. But notice what it says. It says she came to him with great fear and trembling. You know, what's going on there? If she knows she's just been healed, she feels it in her body. 
this issue that she's been dealing with, she knows in that moment, why does she come to Jesus in this fear and trembling in this way? And I think part of the answer culturally is this woman had this issue of bleeding. And in the culture at the time, that makes her ceremonially unclean. She shouldn't be walking into a great big crowd of people where she'd be touching a whole lot of people and bumping up against them because as she does, she's making everyone unclean. And for her to come up behind the rabbi, the teacher, this man of God and grab his clothes, even just touch his clothes, that would have been very taboo. And so you have a marginalized woman who's lived on the edge her whole life for at least the last 12 years, not stepping into these situations, not going there. She thinks I'll just touch him. And I'll be healed and I can slip away. And Jesus goes, who touched me? And she goes, oh no. I'm going to have to step up and I'm going to be exposed here. I'm going to have to tell them what's going on with me. And everybody's going to hear this. And they're going to see it. And so I think part of what's going on when it says she's with great fear and trembling and comes and tells Jesus what's happening, culturally that's why. But then look at what Jesus said. Verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's no rebuke. There's no, what are you doing as an unclean? Why did you come in here? And why did you touch me like that? He turns and he says to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then right at that time, our story shifts back to Jairus pretty quickly. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house one who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's too late, Jairus. We didn't get there in time. She's already dead. And I want you just to think about that for a second, what that's like. What Jairus is going through in that moment. What he's feeling at that instant as he hears those words. That he's trying to get Jesus there. That he believes that he can heal her. If he can just get her there in time. And they say, never mind, it doesn't matter. I was thinking about this this story a lot this week and what that would be like in those moments 15 years ago on thursday this past thursday my brother jed died in a car wreck he's 29 years old and it was uh late one night on a friday night um he was in a jeep he got thrown out of a jeep and he died on the pavement at the movie theater in duluth or wherever that is john's creek now And each year I go and I sit down there and I read a book that I put together about his life. And I just remember all those things. And it's not, I don't say that for sympathy or whatever. It's a wonderful time for me to get to spend remembering my brother. But all these things come back. And one of the things that came back this week as I was reading this passage was Saturday morning when my mom called me. And tears and not understanding her. And what are you talking about? She was crying. And I'm like, what are you trying to say? And finally, she gathered her breath and she said, your brother Jed's died. He was in a car wreck. And I remember walking from my entryway to a chair and sitting down and my legs started shaking. I've never seen anything like it, like violently, like both my legs. I'm holding the phone, looking at my legs going, my legs won't stop shaking. It's like, what is happening to me? And I think part of it was shock. My brother, 15 months younger, my best friend, my whole life, he's gone. And I went, whoa. 
And I was thinking about that this week. And, and again, not, not out of sadness, just out of that's, that's what it was. And I remember those things. And then I read this text and I hear them coming to Jairus and saying, your daughter's dead. And I know exactly what he felt like. What that must have been like in that moment. As he's standing there, dealing with that in the moment. But then look at what Jesus says. Look at what happens next. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, to Jairus, don't fear, only believe. And then they continued on to his house. Tells us Jesus kind of parsed the crowd that was with him. And he said, Peter, James, and John, you can come with me. Jesus will do this a lot in his ministry. That's why we say when we talk about discipleship, deeper with fewer There's times when Jesus just allows Peter, James, and John of his disciples to go with him. And this is one of those times. And he takes the three of them and he continues on to Jairus's house. And as they walk, I can't help but think, what is Jairus thinking? What must that walk have been like? It doesn't tell us how long it was. Was it half a mile? Was it a mile? Was it five minutes? Was it 20 minutes? We don't know. But I can tell you this, I would bet that for Jairus, that was the longest walk of his life. As he's going back to see his wife and to find his daughter there. And so they walk together. And as they do, they're, they're getting close to the house. And then it says, as they got to the house, they saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And he entered in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. But again, I want you to feel what's happening there. They walk in. And everybody's in the midst of this, as you should be. You just lost a 12-year-old daughter. And they're feeling that in the midst of it. And they walk in and Jesus says she's not dead but sleeping and they laugh. Says they all laughed when he said that. My guess is that some of them laughed and some of them said they laughed, but it was kind of like, who is this guy? And what is he talking about? What do they mean she's sleeping? She's definitely died. They all know it. They've seen this. And he walks in and says, no, 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 she's not dead. She's sleeping. And then he asks everybody to leave. All the people that are there, all those that are grieving, he leaves. And it says in verse 40, he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother. So Jairus and his wife and then Peter and James and John. And they went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi. If you notice in the Bible when it says that which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Why does it have in different language? Mark writing in Greek. Jesus said this in Aramaic. It's an Aramaic saying. So then he translates it for his Greek reading audience. But those are the words Jesus said. And it says, I say to you, little girl, arise, which technically, if we get real technical on what he's saying, really what he said is, sweetie, it's time to get up. He went in there. And he wakes up a child who's died in the same way that you or I would wake up one of our children when they're taking a nap. Honey, it's time to get up. And Jesus says that, and this little girl gets up. She comes back to life. Immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. By the way, Mark's gospel, same thing we talked about. And he was asleep on a cushion. This is an eyewitness account. Peter was there and he saw it. That's why it also includes, oh, and Jesus said to give her something to eat. Because he was there. You don't just add these details and except you were there and you saw it. And so you get to the end of the story and it's this beautiful story 
of the way Jesus is caring for all these people along the way. And so there's four things that I just want to point out to you real briefly about the beauty of Jesus in the midst of this story. And the first thing that I want to say to you in the, as we think about Jesus in it is the tenderness of Jesus, the empathy of Jesus, that he steps off this boat. We've looked at what he's been doing the last two or three days, constant crowds, constant attacks, the almost being shipwrecked, the demonic, the crowds, people pressing in everywhere. Immediately again, he's met with a guy that's, please come with me. My daughter's sick. And Jesus goes, yes, I will go with you. And he begins to follow this guy along the way. But then as he comes on the way, he stops to deal with this other woman. And he stops to deal with her issue and what she's dealing with. And one of the things that I want you to think about when we see Jesus all the way through the Gospels is he's completely present with every person that he comes into contact with. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but Jesus being fully God and fully man, he's been tempted in every way that we are, but yet without sin. The sinless, perfect one, God walking in the flesh. And what we see is what it looks like if there was no sinfulness in us. And what that means is where you and I seek to empathize with those that are in need, our sin gets in the way. I'm speaking for me here. You can feel deeply for people and what they're dealing with, but things pop in your mind and, oh, I got this to do and, oh, I need to do this. And you start to become selfish in the things that you think about. And you're always divided in the ways that you're trying to wrestle with those things. But Jesus is without sin. And so every single person that he meets and all the things that they're dealing with, he feels fully and completely and is completely present. I want you to really stop and think about that. Do you understand what that means for our Savior, for the God of the universe? Can you imagine what your life would be like if every single person you saw, you knew what they were dealing with and you felt it completely and fully? You understand how hard that would be? And Jesus does that everywhere he goes and every person. It's why you see him weeping so much. It's why we sing songs like man of sorrows, man of sorrows. What a name for the son of God who came because he feels all of it. And you see this beauty of Jesus' empathy and his tenderness and the way that he operates. And so I want you just to think about what that's like, the fullness of that. That here he meets this woman who would be an outcast societally that's lived on the margins. There's no rebuke. There's no belittling her. It's just meeting her right where she is, hearing her. He heals her. Go in peace. Calls her his daughter. It's such a beautiful picture of what we see, of the way that Jesus meets in the middle of that. And so I want you to please hear this. That same Jesus is available in your life and the things that you're dealing with and where you're struggling. He knows all of it. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. The Bible tells us that he is close to us in our mourning and in our struggles that he comes to us, like, like I read at the beginning of our service in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he stands there inviting us to come to him as he knows all that you're going through. So the first thing here is this tenderness. The second thing I want you to see is the timing of Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, this is important for me as an impatient person. I need to hear this. I need to be reminded of this. When he stops to address the woman, 
for me, when I'm reading and thinking about it, it's like I'm crawling out of my skin. We have got to go and we've got to go right now. You hear the whole of the story. This woman's had this issue for 12 years. Right? It's, it's the chronic versus the acute. My child's about to die right now. She's been dealing with this for 12 years. We can come back to this. That's the way I think. Like, yeah, that's great. I want you to heal her, but let's do this first. And so often we operate that way. We think that way. God, I need you to do this and I need you to do it right now and I need you to do it in this way. And then when it doesn't happen, you go, why not? And it's so easy for us to get caught up in that, to be overwhelmed with the timing of things and how it's working or how it's not working. But I want you to think about this. When Jesus turns to Jairus and he says, don't fear, just believe. Jesus knows what Jairus doesn't. He knows what you and I don't. When the when we're in the middle of our timeline and we don't think it's lining up with the way that God should work. And the answer is he's going to redeem it all. He's going to redeem it all in his timing. And oftentimes we want it right now in our timing. And it's really hard. It's really hard when it's not your timing and it's not the way you thought it should go. And it's really difficult. But I want you to hear Jesus's words to Jairus. When he turns and says, don't fear, only believe. That is his words to you today and whatever you're dealing with. His timing may not be your timing. In fact, I'm going to tell you, say this with fairly certain, God's timing is almost never going to be your timing. Most of the time you're going to go, I don't know exactly how this is going to work. And you're going to feel that tension. But God is working on a timeline that maybe you don't understand, but that he does. And it's in his perfect timing that he's working. I realize that that walk for Jairus back from that moment where they say your daughter's dead to getting back to his house had to have felt like a long time. And you might be in the midst of a a walk that feels like a really, really long time. And you're like, when are we ever going to get there? When is this ever going to resolve? And Jesus is saying, don't fear, just believe. It may not be exactly how you think it should be, but it will be. In Jesus, he's going to redeem all things. In the new creation, he's going to make all things new. And his timing will come. And you'll be able to rejoice in that timing. And so I say his words to you, don't fear, only believe in whatever it is right now. Jesus' timing is perfect. The third thing, not only do you see his tenderness and his timing, but there's something here when that interaction with the woman, that I think you see the truth of Jesus. He stops with this woman where she touches him, and he says, who touched me? He knows she's been healed. He knows she has this kernel of faith. He knows that she showed up there going, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So why does he stop and do all this? Who touched me and what is this? And makes her come forward and tells her all these things. And I think part of it is this woman had kind of a a superstitious faith. If I could just touch his clothes, that would heal me. Right? Like, Like this is magic or something. Or he just has this thing and this feeling. If I could just get close. And Jesus, because he loves us, And yes, he's perfectly merciful and yes, he's kind and yes, he's gracious and yes, he stops and he meets and he talks to this woman. But I think part of what he's doing is to show her that it's important to come to him with the truth, 
in faith. And so when he turns and he says to her that your faith has made you well, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's important for him to show her and to tell her that it's by transferring your trust to me that you've been healed. Right? We've been saying that's what saving faith looks like. It's not because you touch my garments. It's because Jesus is the son of God. And she put her faith in him and what he can do. And he stops and he tells her. And it's so important that we see this, particularly in our culture today. There's a lot of people that are taken with Jesus. A lot of people like the podcast I was listening to. I don't have a category for him. He's pretty great. But then the next step is I'm going to take Jesus and remake him in my image. Jesus loves all the things I love. He affirms all the things that I affirm. He loves me just as I am and he doesn't care and all these things. And that's not true. And that's not even loving. If Jesus doesn't tell us the truth, then it's not loving. Do you ever thought about that in your friendships, in your family, in your life? If you affirm people in lies, that's not loving. Oftentimes it's cowardly. Oftentimes it's because I want you to like me. So I'm not going to tell you the truth, but that's not loving. Truly loving is speaking the truth. And Jesus is the truth incarnate. He is the logos. He is the divine truth. And he's always going to call us back to him. He'll say, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father, but by me. And so when he turns to this woman, I think he stops in all this to make sure that she understands that by transferring your trust to me, you have been healed. And it's because he loves us that he does that. And so you see his tenderness, you see his timing, you see the truth of Jesus, which is ultimate loving, but the ultimately loving. But then the last thing I want us to consider is the power of Jesus. It says that that woman touched him and she knew. She knew that she had been healed and Jesus feels this power go out from him. But then he continues on the way and he walks into Jairus' house. He hears that news. Jesus says to him, don't fear, only believe. They finally get to his house and they walk in. And Jesus removes everybody and he comes in and he wakes up that little girl like you or I would wake up a child from a nap and she comes back to life. So the God of the universe, when he steps into our world, that's what it looks like. And he's good and he's powerful and he speaks with his word and he creates and he recreates and he pulls people from death to life, literally, physically. Do you recognize that in your life, if you've come to put your faith in Jesus, that you've gone from death to life at his word? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you have become alive because of what Jesus has done in your life and that this is what our Savior is like. And he is that powerful and he is that good and we can trust him in all things. Today, you may be on that walk back like Jairus was where God's saying to you, don't fear, only believe And it seems really long and really hard. And you're struggling with when does this end? When does this get better? When is he going to bring me back to life in the same way he did for that little girl? And oftentimes we don't know the answer of exactly when it's going to happen. But what we do know is this, is that we can trust him. 
And we can trust him and we can trust his power because of the cross and what he came and did. He didn't just raise this little girl at this one time in this one place, although he did that. But he came and he defeated death and sin once and for all when he went to the cross. And so his timing may not be our timing, but we can trust that it is going to come because of what he did on the cross. That he has dealt with sin and death itself. And when Jesus returns, all things are going to be made new by his power. When he returns and he brings everything into the glorious fulfillment of what he created it to be, we will see how it comes together. And I don't know exactly what the timing of that is in all things, but I do know it's coming. I do know because he's good and because he's tender and he's true and his power is beyond anything that we can imagine. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. We thank you that we can trust you even when we are struggling with the timing of things that you are at work. I pray for each one here that is struggling with things that are outside of their control or their understanding, that they're not sure today how they resolve or what they look like. I pray that you would speak powerfully to them today to not fear, but to believe, to trust you, to trust you in all things. I pray that would be true of each one of us. That when the circumstances of our our lives overwhelm us, that we would turn to you and trust you in all things. We thank you that you've proven your love for us and what it means for us, that we can trust you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This is the time.